0: You are listening to episode 43 of The Effective Statistician. Skills you need to become a better leader. Interview with Gary Sullivan, part number three. Welcome to The Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske. The weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen, and enhance your efficiency. We are coming up with a great free webinar on leadership. Sign up at theeffectivestatisticiancom slash webinar to learn more about the webinar and register for it. It'll be awesome. We will talk about five big reasons why statisticians fail to lead and how you can overcome them. So just check out theeffectivestatisticiancom slash webinar and leave your email address there. In this episode, we'll talk about leadership again. And it's the third part of the leadership series with Gary Sullivan. We will answer questions such as what skills does it take to influence as a statistician? When it's about driving change, what are the rational, operational and emotional challenges that you will face? And the questions that we will, that I do get a lot from listeners is how do I get a seat at this table where the decisions are made? And how can I have more influence of more convincing skills for others? Thus, after this episode, you will exactly know what to do and what to work after in this episode. And also watch out for next week's episode, which is the last one with Gary, as we'll have something for you to accelerate your leadership development. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to special interest groups, the Video On Demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities, and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. And again, I have a guest here that is Gary Sullivan. Hi, Gary, how are you doing?
1: Hi, Alexander, doing very well, thanks.
0: Okay, so this is actually the third episode uh, in this series about um, leadership for statisticians. And in the last, last two episodes, We talked about um, actually what is leadership. Uh, Gary came up with a very, very nice definition about leadership and about the the, the influencing skills that um, statisticians need to have. We talked a lot about kind of trust and ways to build trust, as that is a fundamental part in influencing. And... Today we actually will go a little bit deeper into this kind of influencing thing and we'll talk more about kind of um, what it takes to influence and what are kind of different aspects of this influencing thing. So it will get a little bit more crisp in terms of what you can actually do. Sounds good. So, very good. So if you haven't listened to the other two episodes, I will encourage you to just stop here, scroll back in your podcast player and listen to the other two episodes and um, then maybe jump back to this one here. Okay, so just as a kind of intro, maybe, Gary, you can just repeat your nice leadership definition of what is actually the leadership that we're talking about.
1: Sure. Um, we, we define leadership. I should say I define leadership, although we've used it in some of the courses, is uh, the ability to consistently deliver value to an organization or a cause by inspiring people to take a specific direction uh, when they truly have the freedom or choice to do otherwise.
0: Yeah. And I think there is um, some literature that says this kind of Three different kind of ways you can influence people, so I think when the first one is if you have the authority the so the role to actually influence people, so that is very often kind of what people think of first when they think about leadership, that is you know you're the supervisor, you're the boss, you're the manager, and therefore you tell people what to do and That is what I would say call role power. Um, But, you know, that is not usually the power that statisticians are using. Um, However, statisticians have this really unique opportunity because they are experts in their field. Yes. And so if you think about these cross-functional teams, very often they are the only statisticians on the at the table so just by that position they have something that you could talk to as expertise power or expertise influential dimension yeah yes so what do you think is that kind of the key thing that statisticians need to kind of rely on to influence people? The th- statistical education.
1: Yes, I think, and I think we talked about this last time. I think it's it's a key thing. It's 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 one thing, but it's not uh, it's not the the thing. Um, the as we talked about in terms of being able to to develop trust. Um, having that technical competence, uh, demonstrating that you can you can add value with your technical skills, uh, being able to speak to different uh, different types of technical methods and approaches is in, is uh, important in terms of um, gaining credibility and trust. Uh, but um, unfortunately, it, it doesn't all uh, end there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think the. the- actually the biggest piece in all these kind of different things is really this relationship influencing dimension. So that you actually um, inspire others that you kind of, you know, say they want to follow you, say you convince uh, people, you sell your ideas. And I think that is also what good supervisors do. They don't kind of, Tell you what to do. They explain it to you. They sell it to you, so that you buy into it, and you're not just doing it because you're commanded to do it. So, um, and when it comes to kind of influencing people, you know, um, what we usually want to do is we want to drive change. You know, the, the influencing is all about kind of um making sure that something different happens. Um so and if we talk about change, I think there's kind of very different parts to driving change. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I I've read uh in in the past, and I and I, I sort of adopt this, that they when we talked last time about there's sort of this this technical piece, which you can think of as sort of this this logical or rational uh, piece of change or the way that people think in a way um, is one, one way is very sort of technically or rationally. I think the other way is very um, operationally or structurally, um, or you could call it sort of physically like, can we even uh, make this happen? Do we have the processes? Do we have the, um, the, the, the tools, the resources? Um, and I think the the third piece is this sort of emotional piece. Um, and I, and I think this is maybe the, the most challenging part of influence and that sometimes when you're trying to create change, um, it can come across as daunting to the, the decision maker or, uh, the team leader just because it's new. So it's going to require maybe them to, um, to learn new things, to, to, um, um, try things in a way that they haven't before. They may see it as threatening because they may have known how to do things in the past and now you're telling them we should do things differently and they're not familiar with that. So that's a threat in some ways to maybe their authority or their competence. Uh, but I think that's the, the third sort of piece of this. So sometimes you may come across like, okay, I, I know this makes sense. So it's it's very rational, logical. I know we have the systems and the processes to make it happen, but they may still be a little resistant. And some of it is just getting over the hurdle of of accepting it, um, being able to to, um, make themselves vulnerable as an individual, um, maybe make themselves vulnerable as the team leader because there's there's a risk in making change. So I think this is the other aspect that um, statisticians need to take into account
0: okay so so if I understand you correctly, it's really about this kind of um even if you if the other person understands kind of logically that it makes sense to do things a different way, even if you have the the tools the processes, the software, the budget, whatsoever, all these kind of things in place, and you can figure this out, you know okay, first we need to do this and this and this and this, and it's kind of you know from a resource point of view, everything is there. Um, Still, things might not change, because there is this fuzzy emotional part into it. So so in terms of emotions, what are kind of the emotions that are kind of hindering change that you typically see?
1: Yeah, I think I think one is the it it can in some ways be the threat to power. Okay, so so if if, if someone has a way of doing things all the time, um, I I can speak to um, specific instances when I was a statistician where um, I remember um, when I was working with fermentation scientists and trying to design certain experiments for them, and and I understood I think I came to understand fermentation pretty well. Um, and I was trying to, to sell a, a colleague on a certain type of experiment and they, they kept pushing back and they said, um, eventually they said, well, I said, well, th- does that just not make sense or do not, do I just not understand fermentation? And they said, uh, you just don't understand fermentation. And so I said, okay, well, m- maybe I still need to learn more. Um, But then after we left the meeting, one of the other scientists who was in the meeting with me, we walked away and she turned to me and she said, you understand fermentation just fine. They just don't want to do what you're suggesting that they do. And and again, it's I think we're all like that when we're asked to change the way we do something, um, we have to get our heads around it because it does it can create stress. It can create risk. It can make us vulnerable because if it doesn't work, then we're, uh, we can be sort of held responsible. Uh, so these are normal emotions and, um, it's these types of things that we need to be cognizant of. So a lot of times it may just require, um, spoon feeding people and, and, um, getting them to to eventually sort of buy into the change so so present the ideas once or present it to them in a private setting where you're not in front of the team so that they can ask questions they can they can be vulnerable in front of you where they don't have to be vulnerable in front of the team you have to give them time to get their head wrapped around it so like i said that they can monitor do i want to take the risk um, am am I comfortable enough with this? Am I capable of of learning it and being able to communicate it uh, to my superiors as to why we're doing it? So all those things come into play um, when you're you you may pr- proposing. A new way of doing things, and and those are things. That's the the other thing I think stagnant, statisticians need to be sort of cognizant of. That again, you may have a perfect technical argument; you may be able to pull off what you are suggesting that uh, that the team do um, operationally, but it's that emotional piece that uh, people need to 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 get comfortable. Um, if 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 I can sort of use that word with the idea of 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 doing things a different way
0: yeah I'm just thinking of um phone call I had a, um some time ago where there was also more people on the line and um from the stat side, we wanted to convince the um the project leads that we wanna do something in a different way and Actually, you know, there was lots of logical argumentation. There was all the processes in place. We had good kind of track record in there. And she just didn't want to go down that route Mm -hmm. in the meeting. And and, um, from a stat side, we were kind of hammering on the logical arguments, Mm -hmm. on the kind of operational things again and again and again. And it only made the situation worse. Mm -hmm. Because we came across as being arrogant, we came across as being, you know, knowing it all, we, you know, not listening to the kind of, uh, to the concerns. And um, later, I had a follow up one to one with that person. And I was actually not speaking so much i was actually listening much yes. more and i was kind of you know um hearing her concerns and says yeah of course these kind of things can happen and and giving her mo- m- much more kind of the feeling that i acknowledge her kind of fears and and things like that and at the end, we found a really nice kind of way that we said, okay, for the first part of the project, we go with this new proposal, then we evaluate where we are, and then we, you know, make a second kind of uh, uh, second decision about this, the rest of the project. And so that took out the fear because she was kind of much more kind of fearful of the second part of the project and much more happy with, you know, going our way with the first part. And, but, but I think it was really kind of this much more kind of listening, active listening. Yes. um, And, and just kind of um, going on to the emotional side. Okay. We have been through this together. We have kind of, you know, um, done, done this a different way together last time. And it actually didn't work out quite well. Um, So, playing to this relationship uh, aspects. And I think also making it safe in terms of having just a one-to-one discussion. Um, yeah, was I was gonna enough.
1: say I think it, it goes back to I think you, you uh, mentioned a lot of a lot of good things there in terms of you mentioned the word fear. Um, that's a that's a, <laughs> a basic human emotion. We all have fears. And if you think about putting yourself in the position of a decision maker that uh maybe making a call on a Um, a project that's or a change that might might cost you know so many millions of dollars or maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars or if it works um, it may accelerate the project by two weeks if it doesn't work it may delay it by three weeks those are all the the and, and again that's that's some of the logical stuff but you have to allow people to think through that the initial thoughts are you know the the fear um the, the risk, the vulnerability, the, the accountability, you know, those types of things. Um, and it gets back to the, the trust thing. I mean, if, if, if I have no relation, what you said about relationships, if I have no relationship with the decision makers, so they've never worked with me before, um, they have no track record with me, um, you, you can put yourself in their shoes and say, why should I listen to you? Um, I don't know whether you're truthful, reliable, dependable, competent, all those types of things. Once you establish that relationship and you demonstrate with them that you do have good ideas and you won't, um, abandon them and you will see them through and you've thought about the different aspects and the things that can go wrong and the benefits and the concerns, then they're in a much more comfortable place and they're much more, um, they're much more likely to to buy into an idea um sooner rather than later. So I think that again getting back to that whole relationship aspect and developing that that relationship and developing that trust is important in um in influence,
0: yeah, yeah, it's kind of you know you first need to pay a lot of yes trust money to so to say into the account. Before you can actually pull from it, um, yeah. and that was actually a, you know just a moment where we needed to to pull from it, where people just need to kind of mm-hmm. yeah believe in a sense yeah and and overcome their fear so so fear is I think a very, very key emotion in that any other kind of emotions that you can think of that are these emotional challenges.
1: I think we covered um, most of them. Um, like I said, the the other one I think is just a. In a sense, it it is fear as well, but it may be fear of losing your authority or expertise. So, for for example, let's suppose in in your situation, you know, a, a new statistician comes in and says. I have this new way of doing things this met this method that I spent my time writing my my dissertation on, and I want to use it i mean that that in some ways you could perceive that as a threat that okay now is is my knowledge obsolete? Um, will I be replaced um, if if I don't have that that technical competence or authority. Am I going to lose my ability to influence? So I think a lot of it does, um, revolve around different fears that, uh, that, that people will have, um, with, with regard to, to any change. And, and again, I think people are different from a standpoint of some people are much more willing to take on risks and, and they don't have those fears and other people, it, it takes them a while to, to come about, uh, and, and embrace the change, and, and some, you know, never will. Because the, the other thing is just the, the, I guess, the predictability of sort of the status quo. Um, if, if you don't make change, you know what to expect. There's um, probably no fear. There's uh, little new stress. There's not new things that you have to learn. Um, so sticking with what works is very safe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I like the um things that you know says people that are sometimes more risk averse and people that are less risk averse and if you have the opportunity to actually you know implement change and you have can choose for different projects one of the key aspects that I Consider when choosing the project, are the people. So, yes. where are the innovators? Where are the people that are, you know, want to be avant-garde? Where are the people that actually want to, you know, do something different? That is, uh, that's a key point.
1: Yeah, I agree. The, uh, the and that that speaks to their leadership. I mean, if 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 someone in a leadership role is not willing to 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 make changes or look for ways to improve how they do things, how efficiently they do things, uh, the speed in which they do things, then maybe you don't want to attach yourself to them because maybe they're not much of a leader. So, th- these are all good yep. things to think about.
0: Yeah. Well, one, So so these are all kind of really, really nice things. But, but um, where I see lots of people, uh, statisticians actually struggle is they don't even get into these kind of discussions. Mm. You know, they, they kind of they can't even build the relationship because they don't even have a seat at the table when these kind of discussions happen. So, any advice on kind of if, if you're that stuck? In, in the you know at the beginning that you're n- not even invited to the meetings that you're you know not even on these committees where these kind of discussions are um done or that you you know um what do you do there in in times of to get the seat at the table do you just go to the meeting organizer and need, say well i need to be there because um i can you know uh, i need to learn about this and you know and it helps me to be there what do you do
1: yeah that's uh that's a it's a it's a problem that um uh, we all face as statisticians um I think there's a couple different approaches. Yeah, one is it, it never hurts to ask. Um it never hurts to to ask and say, can I come to the meeting? Can I attend the meeting? Can I at least just come and sit and listen? Um, just to to be able to hear the discussion. I mean, that's helpful. Even if you can't help uh in the meeting, it allows you to hear uh things that you might not otherwise hear that may be helpful for you to understand the big picture, you to understand. Some of the key questions and challenges that maybe you don't um, so it, it's worth trying it doesn't hurt to ask. I think the the best route to take is to as we talked about um, and getting back to the trust thing um, it's how do you demonstrate um, that you can add value how do you uh, gain credibility for yourself and that's by actually doing um, so so if if you can demonstrate your technical competence demonstrate, a broader understanding of the problem and that you can help in ways that they don't see that you can help, um, then that allows you to, to then, uh, maybe get a a place at the table or, or then the next time you ask to be included, um, maybe they say, um, yeah, this, uh, that makes sense because you're certainly, you can think very broadly. You're a good problem solver. You've demonstrated Key contributions to the project, and it will it will help us in that way. So,
0: yeah. So sometimes I, I see that point kind of that you don't want to be seen as someone that just wants to be there for for my personal kind of uh, development mm-hmm. or my personal kind of thing. Um, people, you're much more likely invited if. For the person that invites you, they get actually additional value so um I think that is kind of a key thing to turn around it's it's not about you it's about them and so so you need to demonstrate this value, but how do you do that if you if you can't be in the meeting <laughs> how do you demonstrate the value yeah
1: it's uh yeah it's that sort of um, chicken egg thing um. So in in thinking back again to a couple uh, different experiences, I guess I've had, um, one and one kind of goes back to what you were saying about who you work with. So I I had experience, I remember one project where um, I had worked with a a scientist um, quite a bit and, and he enjoyed working with me and he saw me as very competent, as someone that could understand the big picture, and so when we both got um, included on a team, he was part of the core team. But he immediately sort of got me invited to the to some of the 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 core team meetings because I had built that relationship with him, and he knew. Uh, that I could that I could bring value um, not just as a statistician but as a problem solver. so I think that's one way is that uh, over time as you build uh, trust and credibility with uh, key people um, that uh, that that they will sort of bring you along you, you you become part of of them in some ways because they see you as as bringing value um, i I think the other way is to is is to to do it sort of very gradually or slowly Pete um, because again it, it gets back to the idea of change well this this is the the core team and here's who we have sit in the core team or this is the committee and here's who we typically have sit in the committee um, so I think I think demonstrating value I, th- I had this experience um, as a supervisor in coaching some of my statisticians and I remember one individual that, um, they were sharing with me that someone was presenting um, the results that um, they had uh, they had generated. They had done some some analysis, and these were, I think, pretty sophisticated analysis. And they uh, they were the ones that suggested that analysis. But when it came time to present, it was the scientist. It wasn't even the person. This person was sort of a I would say uh, at a similar level to them. And, um, and and I understood, you know, that it it was going to be asking too much to say, okay, don't let them present. You need to present this. But the first step was, okay, if, if they're presenting, why don't you ask to at least be in the room? And you could sort of position it as if there's any questions, I can help you answer questions. You can do the presentation. I can sit in the room. Once you get in the room, there are going to be situations where, then you have to take advantage of that opportunity. So you have to come in prepared with not just an understanding of what you did, but you know why you did it, what bigger question it was answering, some of the the, the non-statistical concerns that people might have, um, how you see it as bringing value uh, further down the road. Um, so I, I think. It's maybe getting invited into the room first um and and then uh at the table i I can think of one other example um when I was working as a as a uh collaborating statistician um and there was um a, a person from the f d a on site and they were asking questions um and I was one of the people that i was asked to be in the room but I wasn't at the table. So I was sitting in in the room, and sure enough, the investigator was going across some different technical documents, and they came across some data. And as soon as they started asking questions, um, the person that I had been working with sort of looked at me, shifted their chair over, and sort of motioned for me to, to step up to the table, because I was the one that had perform the analysis and, and knew the methods. And then in that situation, I was then prepared to, I, I didn't go into the room thinking, I'm just going to sit back here. I was prepared to, uh, to be called to the table. Um, and so when I was, I was able to answer the questions. I was able to speak, um, not just in statistical terms, but in, um, broader terms, this was a situation where we were dealing with, um, some, um, I wouldn't say sort of contaminants, but some environmental monitoring data in a production setting. So I knew the different regulations, I knew the different uh the different challenges within each of the different uh rooms that were being discussed in the different uh processing areas. Uh so being able to speak all to all those things when you get your opportunity, then allows you to get invited back to the table. So a lot in yeah.
0: there. Yeah. So, so I had a similar experience in terms of advisory boards. So um, when I started in medical affairs, there were no statisticians invited to these um, customer-facing interactions because people couldn't see kind of what, why should a statistician go to these meetings with, with with customers where, you know, physicians were talking to physicians mostly. And um Yeah, I first kind of came into this just to kind of listen in and in case there are questions. And of course, you kind of statistical questions came up in terms of, uh, I think at that time, it was about uh, analysis of longitudinal data. What is the difference between... uh, Mixed models and and LOCF analysis Mm -hmm. and and these kind of (laughs) discussions. And so so over time, I I kind of um, showed how I can help that and actually provide unique value to to the customers Mm -hmm. through that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then there was actually later on, there was some kind of trickle-on effect because other physicians were seeing, oh, They, you know, these kind of advisory boards where the statisticians are, um, they get much better ratings in terms of, you know, these surveys that you send Mm. to customers afterwards. And there's much more engagement. And, you know, there's actually the physicians had another kind of benefit because they didn't need to present all the time. And more and more things came into it and other... That uh, physicians were adopting the approach and it became overall much more easier for statisticians than to go into these meetings because um, physicians were talking to other physicians and they said, ah, now I don't need to know about all these kind of difficult things and I can rely on my statistician to explain these kind of uh things and we can present things together and that makes the presentations even more engaging and things like that. So um what I the key thing is that it happens slowly and then this you can create trust with the other person and that trust actually can um spill over to other relationships as well. So so there is some kind of halo effect that is is happening over time. So, okay, so that is, yep, that's a very, very nice way to get the seat at the table. So one last thing that we want to um, talk about in this episode today um, is about communication skills that people need. And actually, we are planning to do something more about all these kind of communication pieces as well uh, to help you become a better, more effective statistician in terms of your leadership skills. And we'll talk a little bit about that at the the end of the episode. But um, in terms of communication skills, what are kind of your... Key thoughts about the different aspects of communication skills that are needed to convey that change and to kind of communicate this um, expertise power to you know communicate the to, to build these relationships uh, because all of that is done. Through yes, communication. yeah. The
1: and I think the the first thing there is just being able to communicate uh, your own expertise, and I think most. Um, most uh, schools and universities understand this and do a good job of it in terms of um, impressing upon statisticians that first and foremost, you need to be able to communicate statistical concepts to non-statisticians. And, and if they don't, then it's the, the really the first step that statisticians need to take um, along the lines of, of developing their own communication. Because if you can't explain to a non statistician what it is that that you're doing and how you're doing it, then uh, it's gonna be um, a, a real uphill battle for you to to communicate uh, other ideas that that deal you know maybe partially with statistics and partially with the business or the science or or those types of things. So I would say that's the the first part to start is being able to explain to people. What, like you said, uh, LOCF is or what uh, um, the difference between different types of designed experiments or, um, you know, the difference, what, what a p-value, those, those types of things. If you can't explain those things, um, then um, it's, it's going to be difficult. So that's, that's, I think, a foundational thing is being able to, to explain your own um, field of, of expertise.
0: And what kind of communication skills do I need to to build trust, for example?
1: Yeah, um, and again, I think starting with with what we just talked about is 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 the way to to begin there. Um, the the other part is as we discussed in terms of, and I think you were given an example of this before um, when we talked about trying to create change is is listening skills. Um so so when it, that it's it can't be um just hey I've got some ideas and I'm going to get those ideas across to you and force them down your throat um I need to to first understand what it is that you're dealing with um so so in a collaborative type of setting again better to listen um and then to to try to sort of impart your ideas Uh, better to listen and, and add value, um, the ways that, uh, the, the team initially needs the value to build that credibility. Um, and then you can start to maybe share your own ideas and try to, to redirect them if you think, uh, they need to be redirected. So I, I think one of the, the other big things is, is listening skills and statisticians. Again, I think this is, this is a strength in terms of, um, uh, a statistician's ability to become a strong leader is that um, typically in our study that um, we are trained to, to listen. Uh, we, we have to understand um, the, the problem, uh, the experiment, the constraints, the nuances, um, all those types of things. So we, we can leverage that skill as a leader as well. But I would say that's, that's uh, an, another big thing. Um,
0: in terms of uh communicating the ideas so um but I know that there's of course this part of explaining the stats methodology in it, but um what else do I need to do, and you know what other techniques or skill sets do I need to have to communicate ideas well? Could you give some examples regarding this?
1: I think it again. It kind of goes back to some of the other things in terms of understanding the the, the bigger picture. Um, so, if 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 you uh, want to propose um, a, a new idea, a new approach to doing something, you have to demonstrate, I think, a broad understanding of um, what the benefits and concerns are. Um, so, I, I think in terms of um, Communicating a, a new or different idea. Again, I'll go back to my experiences as, as a statistician in an industrial setting. Before I could uh, try to promote um, a, a certain strategy of experimentation, I had to demonstrate an understanding of um, the timeline. I had to demonstrate an understanding of the resources. I had to demonstrate an understanding of the key questions. I had to dem- demonstrate an understanding of what the challenges around the, the product or the process were. Um, so I think the, the first part is, is making sure that you have a foundational understanding of um, the big picture in the team or the project that you're working on. Um, again,
0: without that, so basically, you need to kind of frame things from a bigger picture at the beginning so so that people can have a starting
1: point yes yeah. Um, yeah that's a that's a great word in terms of of framing them to to help them understand here's here's why i'm here here's here's the problem I'm trying to solve here's why I think we need to solve it or here's why I think we need to do it differently and And here's how I'm going to explain it, so presenting that that uh, that bigger picture frame is important.
0: You mentioned one other word uh earlier, and that is also in the leadership definition. It's about inspiring people um, How do I inspire people? Well, I think the
1: uh it, again, it kind of goes back to some of the things that we said uh, in terms of if, if you walk into a room with a, a new idea or a different way of doing things, um, anticipating the types of questions um, and the types of thinking going on around the people in the room is important. So these may not even be questions that they articulate. But when you step into a room and you say, I want to share a, a different way to to approach this sequence of experiments, um what do you think is running through their mind? Um, The the first thing might be, okay, um, we have a timeline. Um, How is this going to affect the timeline? Um, We have a budget, are we gonna be able to do this? Um, How is this going to benefit the team? Um, Is it going to help us end up in a place where we have a, a better product or a higher quality product? So thinking about all those types of things as the questions that, that, that they have. And in a sense, at the highest level, it's kind of like, what's in this for us? Okay, maybe maybe you want to apply some, some new type of method, but what's in it for us? What's in it for the team? What's in it for the organization? What, what's in it for our stakeholders? And I think going back to your question about how do you inspire that, it doesn't have to be in, in terms of a rah-rah type of, of speech or something that's going to get them energized. But uh, I think a, a team or a decision maker is going to be energized by things like, this can bring bring, bring greater value to the organization. This can save us money. This can allow us to, to do this faster. This can bring a a quicker solution to the patient, to the stakeholder. Um, those are the types of things that are going to inspire, I think, decision makers.
0: So it's really about painting this picture of a better f- future in terms of a better future for for them. Yes. yes. For the others. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what kind of techniques do you use to um, kind, of, kind of communication techniques do you use to kind of convey that? Message.
1: Um, I think it gets back to some of the things we talked about in terms of how you can create change. There's certainly going to be a logical or technical piece to it, um, but I think the the emotional piece may be the first piece that you want to address. And it gets back to those questions of what's in it for us and for the stakeholders. So in some ways, starting there in terms of saying, you know. I'm going to talk to you about doing this a different way. Um, I'll get into the details, but I think in the grand scheme of things, this will allow us to do it faster. It will give us greater information, it will allow us to to save resources. Um, those I think are going to be the things that, um, emotionally maybe sort of connect with people. It will, it will bring value to the patient or our ultimate customer. It will please them. How will it please them? Those types of things. So, so, um, I think, um, connecting with them emotionally, uh, in that way. Um, and again, you may think of those things, well, those are sort of nuts and bolts things. Those are how you run the business, but those are the things that are going to resonate with them more emotionally. It's not going to be you know we're, we're going to run this new statistical method or use this new approach that's not going to get them jazzed up they're going to get jazzed up by we can bring value to our stakeholder so i think I think starting there is, is is the place to start
0: and in terms of explaining the value really. Tapping into these kind of emotional pieces that you kind of uh, share a story, that you kind of paint a picture, that you kind of speak to the emotional aspects of it, that kind of people will feel better. Pe- you know, that that you know, we will be able to do it, and kind of don't know half the time, or you know, that will save us so much cost and um, therefore enable us to do different things um, and, you know, will ease some sort of pain and, yes. and, and use these kind of um, words that trigger these emotions rather than number, 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 number. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so in terms of that, I think there's a, there's a lot of other aspects about communication um, that we could talk about and we could talk yes. about here <laughs> for forever <laughs> to, to to kind of te- tease out further kind of things that you t- can do to better communicate, to, to become a better communicator in, in different settings, whether it's one-to-one, it's one-to-many, it's, it's whether you're in a leading the meeting um, uh, thing, whether it's, you know, we could t- talk about different communication channels and what are kind of the pros and cons and all kind of these different uh, pieces. Um, but we are already um, far beyond the half an hour target <laughs> that we usually have for, for these episodes. We'll
1: break this one into two, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the, um, but, um, we, will act- we are actually working on, on uh, a course to actually um, help you become better with these uh, communication influencing uh, skills thing, to make you actually a better leader at work, to be more influential, and to get your job done in a more effective way, um, so that you don't have the pain that you want to drive change, but. You run into all kind of different hurdles, some of which we talk, talked about. Um, in the next episode, actually, with Gary, we will talk a little bit more about this course that we are uh, creating and that we are offering. And there we will speak about kind of um, what you will get from the course. Uh, we will speak about kind of um, uh, what are the other different things that you can do outside of the course in terms of um, improving your leadership skills, and um, so stay tuned. If you haven't done yet, subscribe to the podcast, and I'm then very happy to speak with Gary again. Thanks, Gary.
1: Yes, this has been great. Yeah, let's let's continue the discussion.
0: Okay, very good. Then dial into the podcast next week again. Bye. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, don't forget to sign up for the leadership webinar at statistician.com slash webinar. It'll be awesome and you don't want to miss out on this. The webinar of course is for free. This show was created in association with PSI and next week You'll learn more about leadership in our last episode with Gary, and we have some really, really nice surprises there for you. Thanks for listening. Please visit theaffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. And again, don't forget the webinar.